<clears throat> Good afternoon, everyone, and welcome to another Middle East Forum webinar. My name is Winfield Myers. <clears throat> I'm the director of Campus Watch, and I'm very pleased to welcome our guest today, uh, Professor David Cook of Rice University. David, welcome. We're very happy to have you here. Thank you so I'm much. I'm very happy to be here experience. myself. Thank you. Um, David is a professor of religion at Rice University in Houston. Uh, his academic specializations include early Islamic history and development, Muslim apocalyptic literature, and radical Islam. Uh, among his several books are this, which I will plug uh, happily, Understanding Jihad, an outstanding work, uh, along with contemporary Muslim apocalyptic literature, and with Olivia Allison, Understanding and Addressing Suicide Attacks. Um, he also wrote back in 1998 a very prescient article for the Middle East Quarterly, the forum's own journal, uh, titled Muslim Fears of the Year 2000. Uh, David is a member of the Campus Watch Advisory Board, earned his BA at the Hebrew University of Jerusalem, and his MA and PhD at the University of Chicago. So again, we're, we're really pleased to have you here. Um, today we're going to talk about some of the problems of teaching uh, about the history of Islam in the modern university. Um, <clears throat> those who uh, are, are watching and those who keep up with the Middle East Forum and Campus Watch are aware that sometimes people who uh, try to, their best to teach rigorously, honestly about the history of the Middle East, the history of Islam, and to be sure, other topics as well throughout uh, the academy uh, can run into very real problems, both with their deans and department heads, with apologists, both on campus and off, uh, sometimes all three, and it can have a professional, uh, professionally deleterious effects on their career. Um, David, let's just start. Tell us what are what are some of the principal challenges that you find in your day to day life, simply teaching about the history of Islam in a fine university like Rice. Well, I, to start off, I have to say honestly, I can't really complain on a personal level. You know, like yeah. I, I agree. You know, I, I feel very strongly in agreement that this is a major problem, but I will say, you know, in order to not sound like a whiner, <laughs> I personally am not, you know, touched by it hugely. I, I know, you know, from my grad students and other, uh, you know, graduates and stuff that I'm considered to be an Islamophobe, um, you know, which of course I really... <laughs> you know, I have major problems with that term in sure. any case. Sure. But, um, you know, I have to admit, I, I mean, I view myself as Islamocritical, and but I try and maintain a very sympathetic relationship with Muslims on a teaching level. And for me, this happens to be the winning formula. You know, like the place where I feel like I get problems are the fact that many times my books have to go through hostile reviews, um, especially at the pre-publishing level, you know, where I'll oftentimes mm -hmm. be accused of being an Orientalist or hating Islam, or uh, you should have seen the reviews from Understanding Jihad. They were quite a pleasure to read. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was, quote, the worst type of Orientalist <clears throat> and all sorts of different other things. But well, that's exactly the kind of stuff I'm thinking about is that the, 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 the journals, the university presses, uh, academic conferences can uh, be pretty rough on a guy like you, can they not? Well, I have to admit, you know, again, I, I feel like I've pretty much weathered that. Uh, you know, like there's a lot of times where I won't get invited to various different things, or at least I can suspect that. Mm -hmm. 
but when I do, you know, I don't take anything from anybody and I'll make sure that, you know, that I give as, as good as I get. Um, so I haven't really found, on the other hand, I'm not really a member of Mesa anymore. You know, like Mesa, sure. I find it's just beyond the pale. I, I can't deal with it. Um, so I don't know what would happen if I, you know, walked through that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, you know, like I, uh, I know that uh, for one of my grad students uh, studies African Islam, and he's told me that, you know, going to African um, Islamic uh, gatherings and stuff, you know, people, random people will just come up to him and say, do you know your advisor is an Islamophobe? And, you know, he'll say, uh, no, he's not that because, you know, I mean, he's actually a Muslim himself. And it's like, no, he's not. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, honestly, yeah. I can't say that I really uh, suffer from it that much. But, you know, in general, Rice is a pretty moderate university. Right. It's not right. Um, part. Well, of, you are a full professor. I didn't. didn't and I'm you, a full professor. Right. And you know, so it didn't so, stop your climb. I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm not. I, it, that's the reason why I don't feel like I can really whine about it. I can I can say that I believe that this is a major problem for up and coming students of the Middle East. That's where I really have noticed you know, like a lot of different problems. Um, Talk about that, please. Expand it and be well beyond your campus to the profession as a whole. Yeah. Um, so, you know, here we have to look at two different categories. And and first, and it's and it's sad to say, but I think that one of the, the results of uh, Saidian uh, critique of my field has been that uh, Jewish students are more reluctant to actually study the world of Islam. Um, referring to Edward Said, author of 1978 Orientalism, which turned yes. the field upside down and called all of his predecessors and peers uh, basically racists and uh, Orientalists, meaning that they viewed uh, Islam in a from a superior mode, a Western imperialist mode. And yeah, I mean, basically that sums it up. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and that that uh, that influence continues to this very day, uh, mm -hmm. even though Said is long passed on. Um, his, uh, his methodologies are extremely prevalent inside uh, Middle Eastern studies, inside anthropology, uh, inside mm -hmm. English, yeah. uh, where it is difficult to go through them without, it's difficult for, for, for people who don't agree with that to actually develop the thick skin that they need in order to weather all the way through it. And that's the thing that, I mean, that's one of the reasons why I really wanted to meet with you today is, is I really wanted to, to make a plea for people to do just that. And I can't say, you know, that it's an easy thing to want to do, you know, because I know from personal experience and friends experience and students and grad students experience that it's not. You know, I mean, you have to go through a lot of insults. You know, a lot of times you have to swallow your tongue and, you know. To develop very thick skin. I and develop very thick skin, you know. So, but I believe that the only way to recover the profession is for people to actually go through that and to weather the storm and to come out on the other side. And, you know, as I say, it's not an easy thing to want to do. You know, there's uh, there's greener fields everywhere. You know, you won't make very much money being in academia. <laughs> you know, and sometimes when you yeah. feel like 
all the different stuff that you suffered in order to get through there, you think, really, you know, my friends are making 10 times as much as I am, <laughs> yeah. you know, yeah, I policy that. institute. But yeah, I, I would like to, you know, to, to plead with those, you know, who of a younger generation to consider that, you know, because mm-hmm. I have to say, honestly, you know, with all the, with all the politically correct and, you know, Saidian things and stuff, this is still an incredibly rewarding field. I have no regrets. The study of Islam is interesting. And on a personal level, I find it to be extremely rewarding. But again, you know, I can't deny that I had to go through a lot of stuff in order to get to that particular right. point where I can say that. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> so yeah, that's the, the, the plea that I would like to make. Um, yeah, so frankly, um, I applaud uh, the, the creation of other different organizations that can kind of counter mm-hmm. um, the standard narratives and so forth. I believe that it's necessary for those of a younger generation to actually see on the ground, especially, I find actually that one of the, the most useful things in preventing people from critiquing me it's just the fact that I've traveled so much more than they have. Um, I've actually seen a lot more than they have. You know, some people have come up to me and be like, you, you're an Islamophobe and stuff. And, you know, and, you know, and then all of a sudden they'll realize, yeah, actually I've been to, you know, like a lot of, a lot of places and everything. And I've seen the places and I've, you know, walk the walk and talk the talk and stuff. And all of a sudden then they shut up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But you do have to go through a lot of stuff in order to, you know, in order to get to that particular point. So, Are there some programs that students, either undergrad or graduate, should look at more closely than others for getting through that? Some universities, including well, personally, I feel like your own too, of course. So. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I do. You know, especially now that I've gotten to be full professor and stuff, I do look more carefully at those people who I believe, you know, I think can make a difference in the field. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to try and train them and you know to put them out. Honestly, I believe that you know two of the major uh, and I still call them Orientalist, but, you know, the places uh, that are traditional, uh, like the University of Chicago and Princeton, I think that it's possible to actually go through them, uh, their Middle Eastern studies, and actually come out as a reasonable person, you know, mm-hmm. um, but there's definitely certain universities where yeah, it's just hopeless, you know, like, I I can't say that I would even look at somebody that's coming out of Columbia. It's just, it's, it's, it's over. (laughs) And Georgetown, we always go after too. Yeah, Georgetown as well. You know, I know that, uh, that certain of the people there in Georgetown um, revile my name. (laughs) And I've tangled with the badge of honor. Yeah, yeah, I don't have any major problems with it, you know. Um, So but, uh, yeah, there's other different universities that I could name, um, but mainly it's just single people, you know, that, uh, right, right. and, you know, so once again, I just honestly have to say to, to the audience, this is something that can be changed. It is not actually something that is immutable. You know, 20, 30, 40 years ago, the field was not actually like this. And it can be different in the future. 
right now, in my opinion, yes, it is at a low point. Um, and we're seeing that not just in Islamic studies, but in a lot of places, you know, like Princeton setting aside its Latin and Greek requirements sure, for its sure. classical department. Yeah, preposterous. <laughs> the heart of the discipline, yeah. I, I don't know what to say to something like that. <laughs> you know, if somebody told me to do the same to Arabic, and you could, you know, because Arabic yeah. is just as racist a language as, uh, <laughs> as Latin and Greek yeah. is. Yeah. It'd be like ripping my beating heart out of my chest, you know. I can't <laughs> imagine doing something like that. But at any rate, you know, having said that, um, I, I I know that academia is at a low point right now. I can't deny it. As I say, I don't personally feel it that much. You know, my colleagues, um, you know, none of them, you know, go after me in in any particular way. Um, I do have you know certain detractors here at Rice, but I don't think that it's possible to have opinions about anything and not have detractors sure, sure. so but it's uh, god's mercy you know that i don't have I, I i like to distinguish between two groups of people you know the people that are you know like on the other side and then there's the people that are on the inquisitorial other side and it's the people right. that are inquisitorial that i really cannot deal with sure sure civil disagreement is one thing academic that's what the entire um edifice is built on but it's another thing entirely as you say the, the inquisitorial side well what what are what can universities do uh, and can we expect them to do them i mean my take would be uh, often the administrators are as bad as if not worse than some of the professors in pushing various uh, schemes um and as we all know uh, you know administrators have many ways to hurt you <laughs> if you're if you're a faculty meeting uh, administrators member administrators have many ways to hurt you I yeah they do so what what can what can uh, a lot of what we're talking about here comes down to uh, academic freedom, doesn't it? And and uh, the, the the freedom to be controversial, as controversial is defined by the majority in academia today, which would be a position that you would take, for example, in your your uh, your scholarship. Um, what can universities do, and what what can people outside the universities do to encourage them to reform as necessary? It is donors, taxpayers parents paying their tuition, students themselves? Um, that's a huge question, I realize. But what are a few things do you think that are most important? I mean, the thing that strikes me the most about those people who have successfully dealt with these problems is merely holding these guys to their own rules is sometimes the most useful. You know, when you actually just say, hey, you know what? These are the rules that you lay down. And you're not keeping them. Uh, you know, that's sometimes actually the most useful, you know, because like in any uh, oppositional framework, you know, there is a group of people that is opposing you that there's no way that you're ever going to win over. Your real target is actually the vast majority of people who haven't really taken a side as yet. Mm -hmm. And those are the people that you really want to influence, you know, like I'm never going to win over those inquisitorial guys, you know, they hate me no matter what. And I don't really have any problem with that. <laughs> but I do hope to win over and I do hope to give academic freedom to those people who um, can be won over and who would like to, you know, like look at the sources. You know, so many of their different uh, little bugaboos can just be dismissed just by looking at the sources. You know, um, some of them depend upon historical lies 
you know, like the idea that slavery was some sort of a uniquely Western phenomenon. I've had, you know, students, uh, you know, I, I teach the crusade. I just finished off teaching my, my class on the crusades and stuff. And I've been teaching it for the last like seven, eight years. And, and really the reason why I've been teaching is because nobody in history department will touch it. <laughs> Which is itself a problem. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like every once in a while, when I just very casually mentioned Muslim slavery, you know, like people will be like, what, you know, nobody ever told us about that. You know, can you have a yeah. few words about that? And you're like, yeah, sure. I'll have a few words about that. <laughs> <laughs> Which tells you a great deal about the status of the profession and the day that, that no one knows that, even if you're studying the field, something that should be widely known to anyone who's ever studied the field as that. So, you know, so one of the best antidotes, you know, on an academic level is actually just going to the sources and, you know, and acquainting people with the sources. Sure. Um, now, that doesn't work with the seriously hardcore guys. <laughs> no, <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's always going to be a core that you can't convince. And, you know, that's just. A, yeah. You know, some of those, uh, you know, the, once years ago, I traveled with a postmodernist. And, you know, I, I just. I, you know, after arguing with her for weeks and stuff, I would, finally I just asked, "Do you believe that Julius Caesar actually existed?" <laughs> and she couldn't say yes. So, you know, I was like, "Okay, you know, it's over. I, I can't, I can't rationally argue, discuss with somebody who cannot say that Julius Caesar existed." Sure. I, yeah. There's, you know, there's a limit to which I cannot go. <laughs> and so you know so sometimes those those people they exist and you know if julius caesar wasn't real well you know then that's fine yeah you're, you're yeah. dealing with a, a you know a level of nihilism at that point that you, uh, you just tell them they don't exist themselves i guess let me take a few questions from the audience let me let me um encourage the audience to please uh send in your your questions um an anonymous attendee asks isn't the term islamophobia an oxymoron I try not to use Islamophobia, but of course, uh, the fact is, is that I am forced to because so many students bring it up. Um, yeah, yeah. It's in their, is it in their vocabulary when they arrive in your class? Yes. Or do they learn it once they get to campus? Do they know it from high school sometimes? Or? Well, you know, I, I actually don't know where they know it from. Yeah. But, you know, Culture. when I encounter them, it's definitely, it's definitely not possible anymore to the generation of students that I'm dealing with to actually say that Islamophobia is not a phenomenon, mm -hmm. you know, which right. I would actually, that's where I would start, you know, like from, you know, from my generation, you know, like I would have said, where is, you know, what, what, what does exactly this term even mean? Why, why is it being utilized in this manner? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I usually, uh, especially in my class on uh, contemporary issues and so forth, I go over the different definitions of uh, Islamophobia that are associated with like care and well, many other places and stuff. And, you know, we talk about the different contradictions and in some cases, ludicrousness is of, you know, these definitions and so forth. And yeah, I mean, that's really as far as I can go actually on an academic level. Um, I personally do not believe that this is a phenomenon that merits very much. I mean, it's a, it's not it's not a phenomenon that I would that I would really see as one that needs to be discussed extensively on an academic level. But the sure. fact is is that it is being uh, discussed. Yeah. So I might as well participate in the discussion, 
it's taken for granted is my impression it's been taken it's taken for granted by many of your colleagues and yeah. many of your students um well let me add, uh meyer herzl melmid asks what are the main criticisms with islam to which people object what what do they see that you or others would say that they object to the primary problems oh wow that's a huge question yeah. um Mountain so i think that probably the biggest uh, the biggest objection that people have to me is methodology you know the idea that islam should be subjected to the same sort of criticism that Christianity or Judaism is, is subjected to. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and that's my point. I mean, that's my my departure point is, is that, you know, I'm my, my next door neighbor studies ancient Christianity, my other next door neighbor studies ancient Judaism. Mm -hmm. I will deal with the Islamic sources in exactly the same manner as they deal with their sources. Yeah. Okay. And I do not find a strong need to protect anybody from anything. So, yeah, that's the particular point where I think I get critiqued the most is because I don't start from, you know, like the methodological point that actually Islam needs to be protected in some way. That's what I was going to say. Yeah, because there, there's certainly that's ingrained in the academy, isn't it? this, this um, protection of Islam from the type of rigorous study to which the Bible has long since been subjected or any other ancient source. Yeah, any other ancient source. I yeah. Mean, yeah, it's really... Yeah, that there's some sort of privileged position uh, that Islam has or Muslims have. Now, I strongly, you know, as I say, I maintain good relations with uh, the Muslims here on campus, you know, because they know that they can always turn to me for uh, especially linguistic knowledge. I teach them the Quran, I teach them tafsir and so forth. Um, and they can also ask me questions that uh, their imams and their parents won't answer. <laughs> yeah, so that protects me a lot of times from charges of Islamophobia because essentially, you know, so many of the people around have actually, you know, been able to to get answers out of me and stuff. That, sure. Sure. So, yeah. But well, uh, Joseph, let me ask this. Joseph Spurl writes in, what is your opinion of Juan Cole's book on Muhammad and does it exemplify the trends that you're discussing? His uh, biography of Muhammad from a year or two ago. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. <laughs> <laughs> you do. <laughs> well, let's just put it this way. You know, I, I mean, Juan Cole, I think, is, you know, kind of a, a high priest of that direction. Yeah, I've got major problems with Muhammad. I'm sorry to say. I mean, not Muhammad. The, the prophet, but uh, Muhammad. Right, with Cole's book. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't use it to teach, to be absolutely blunt. I think that it's way too apologetic. And one of the What? I'll just add for an audience so that Cole teaches at the University of Michigan. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'll just say that at least it's not anywhere near as apologetic as Karen Armstrong. Um, hmm. So I think that. I mean, I think that there is actually a difference there. I, I use Cole's material for other different things. You know, like he has work on Apocalypse that I've used mm -hmm. and that I find valuable. Um, and believe it or not, I actually do read his blog, um, you know, which again, I probably disagree with about 95% of it, but sure. it's, he knows a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, he spins it in a way that I don't appreciate, but you know, I, yeah. Sure, so, okay. Steve Orlo asks, do you see this, this situation among Middle East academics on campus filtering down to students that then results in the rise of anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism on campuses? 
On a personal level, again, I have not seen that here at Rice. Um, but I've definitely read about it enough on campuses that I am never surprised when it does happen. Yeah, I think that the line between anti-Semitism and anti-Zionism is extremely ill-defined, especially mm -hmm. on campuses. Um, and the inordinate you know, focus upon Israel is you know, something obviously that I have a major problem with. But um, yeah, as I say, on, on, on the Rice campus, I don't see that happening. You know, like I honestly, you know, I've had extensive dealings with Muslim students and other, you know, other students who could possibly be influenced by that, but I've never ever seen, you know, that phenomenon, at least to me. Mm -hmm. You know, there's been times where I've had to say, yeah, actually, you know, I, I honestly have never really had any, you know, anything like that here. But I've seen enough stuff, you know, like on truly uh, wacko campuses, you know, that makes me wonder. So I, I don't doubt sure. that it's a true phenomenon. Sure, sure. Uh, Mindy Stein writes with a question. She says, our Orthodox Jewish daughter went to Columbia, took an undergrad class in Islam and was jeered whenever she got up to speak. And her then her professor showed an anti-Semitic film and told her she was not Semitic, so she does not belong in the Middle East. How do we get universities to hire more balanced professors in the Middle East departments? And now, as you well know, I've, I've heard stories like that more than once uh, coming oh, out of I'm, Columbia. I'm, sure I'm not too. doubting it in the slightest. My, yeah. my best friend is uh, is Orthodox Jewish, and you know she also is in our field and stuff. And yeah, I mean she. You know, she she feels like she's probably in the last generation of Jews who could possibly actually go into Islamic studies. Hmm. So I uh, don't doubt the truth of that story. Um, it, the The truth is, is I would respond uh, in that case with a lawsuit. You know, because something like that is so egregious and so disturbing that it should have been followed up, in my opinion, by either a Title IX sort of thing or, you know, some sort of a discrimination. You know, even in a place like Columbia, yeah, there has to be some, you know, some law that you could actually deal with something like that. Um, I've never seen anything like that personally. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Raymond Stock, who teaches Arabic at uh, LSU, uh, writes in with a question. He says, fascinating discussion. Have you been attacked by any particular Western-based Islamic or Islamist organizations? And if so, who are they and what has happened as a result? <laughs> so many local mosques won't have anything to do with me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Any larger or has CARE ever come after you, for example? Or no, CARE has never has never come after me. No. Council on American Islamic Relations. Okay. Yeah. No, no, CARE has never. Um, a couple of years ago, I was giving a talk at uh, uh, at a university of Minnesota, and I got attacked by some Muslim students who uh, I was presenting on suicide attacks, and they um, refused to believe that there were a number of different fatwas that were issued by mainstream ulama uh, during the 1990s and early 2000s that supported uh, suicide attacks. Mm. You know, they told me that you know that, that I was just making that up and stuff, and. Um, and, you know, when I began to refute them and, and show them evidence that that was actually not the case, you know, then they began to, you know, kind of um, be pr pretty demonstrative and eventually one of them actually had to be removed. Um, 
I've had harsh debates in like a couple of years ago, I had uh, some serious debates and stuff in New York. Um, yeah, most of the other stuff that, that would have happened to me is mostly things that I kind of brought upon myself, um, you know, by teaching or presenting in Muslim universities in Muslim countries, mm. you know, where, yeah, I've, I've had some, you know, some, some stuff happen, but yeah, I mean, in the end, I've always, you know, I've always come out of it. So yeah, sure. yeah but here, uh, I wouldn't say that I've really had, you know, as I say, the, the issue of, of trying to maintain close relations with the local mosques and stuff has been problematic. You know, most of them, I think, do that think about me at all, you know, consider me to mm-hmm. be an Islamophobe. Um, you know, the only ones that I've been able to maintain relations with are groups like Ahmadis or Ismailis, you know, that really aren't part of the mm-hmm. mainstream. Sure. Um, sure. Well, that leads to another question about, by, I mean, if I can I'll get it in because we're running out of time, unfortunately. Stephen uh, Gerzoff writes, do you ever have the occasion to make a distinction between radical and simply observant uh, Muslims, and I'm extrapolating a little bit here from that is uh, as their attitudes toward uh, some of the more violent behaviors of, of among the jihadis. Do you have different reactions among your students uh, to, let's just say, acts of terrorism when they occur, or to the just the uh, the, the presence of those in our, uh, our world? Well, I definitely see that there's a difference between you know what I call activists and quietist Salafis. Um, you know, obviously the activists mm-hmm. are the jihadis and so forth. Um, and on a personal level, sometimes I've interacted with quietist jihadis, uh, quiet, I'm sorry, quietist Salafis, and there's quite a number here, um, or over at the University of Houston. Houston uh, University of Houston has much more of a Salafi MSA than we do here at Rice. Mm-hmm. And, you know, my colleagues over at the University of Houston sometimes have serious problems with them, you know, like especially teaching Muhammad critically or, mm-hmm. you know, like early Islam and so forth. Um, so yeah, I haven't really had, you know, like, again, I'm talking about here in the United States, in in the Arab world, you know, I've, I've run across a ton of of jihadis who I've interviewed or talked to, or, you know, had interaction with and stuff. And yeah, so, so I, yeah, I do, I do think that there's a distinction as for acts of terrorism, watching them vis-a-vis the students. It doesn't seem to me like I feel like that there's been a huge difference. I was in class on September 11th. I was actually teaching the Quran. How do you like that? <laughs> <laughs> so, and about a third of the students were Muslim. <laughs> yeah, there really wasn't that much difference. Okay, cool. reaction. Well, unfortunately, this time has flown by and we are at the end of the hour, bottom of the hour. But, um, but first, David, thank you so much for doing this. Perhaps we can have you back and kind of take up where we left off this time. Because I, I would love to dwell on a little bit more and bore into um, the advice for students going into this again. Uh, I mean, maybe you can sum it up by saying, pursue the truth and be strong and just keep your eyes on, on pursuing the truth that the sources lead you to and don't let uh, the powers that be dissuade you. But that's, I know I understand it's easier said than done too. So it's, um, but, it, but it can be done, I guess. Um, let me uh, do two things. First, thank uh, David again, our guest, David Cook, for, for joining us today. And also remind our audience to uh, stay tuned over the weekend for emails, which will tell us tell you uh, about our upcoming webinars for the following week. 
And before I forget, David, is there any way that a uh, convenient way that our audience can uh, see more about your work and learn about what you're doing? Uh, <laughs> well, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I can just, I, maybe I could update my CV. Uh, you know what, <laughs> I, I honestly- we we'll uh, up at Rice then, so. Actually, uh, during the last years, I've been working mostly on the crusade uh, texts and stuff. And especially during the last two years, during the uh, Corona period, I've been working on the great uh, history of the city of Damascus, which has come to take over my life entirely. Okay. okay. Um, but uh, yeah, you can look forward to more apocalyptic material from me. Um, I run an apocalyptic studies group that works on Muslim apocalypse. Excellent. And our okay. goal is to publish. So, well, I'll say just Google you at Rice University. They'll find your page there, as I did, and they'll yeah. be able to find what you're writing. So, yeah. well, again, thank you. Thank you to all involved. Thank you, David. Thank you to our audience. Uh, have a wonderful weekend, and we will see you Monday. Good night. Okay, thank you so much Good for night. having me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Bye bye.